many fascinating, large battlefields to see when you tour Civil War America, but there are also some out-of-the-way gems. We'll be talking about one of those, the battlefield at Balls Bluff, Virginia, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.scheduleonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine. Every Wednesday, beginning at 4 p.m., right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with Jim Morgan, author of A Little Short of Boats, The Fights at Balls Bluff and Edwards Ferry. In our first segment, we talked a little bit about uh, the mysteries, uh, some of the mysteries of Balls Bluff, the the tangled uh, first-person accounts and how they don't always, uh, the the traditional account of the battle has not always matched with what one can see on the terrain there. And I will say it is a marvelous battlefield. If you are in northern Virginia, it is very much worth your while to drive a little bit out of your way and go over and see the park at Balls Bluff. I did so, uh, I think, a year ago on my way to Gettysburg with uh, David Long, my colleague here at East Carolina. And we we took some time to drive over there. Nobody else was there. It was a, a great time to see it. And it is different from, say, Gettysburg, much more wooded, much uh, steeper. It is uh, preserved nicely. We'll talk maybe about that later uh, later on today. And really does give, uh, it, it is one of those battles you just cannot understand very well without seeing it for yourself because the terrain plays such an important role in what happens. Now, Jim, we were talking about the strategic situation, the Confederates abandoning and then reoccupying Leesburg and General Charles Stone getting ready to send his brigade across the Potomac River toward Leesburg. 
and that's that's where the confusion sets in. What well, happened Stone, there? Okay, Stone, first of all, had a division, not a brigade. He had three full right, brigades, and he was not really preparing to send anybody across the river at this point. Um, as I mentioned in the last segment, uh, because Shanks Evans had abandoned Leesburg, had pulled the Confederates out and moved south of town, because he was worried about a federal envelopment of, of his force. Um, because he left and then quickly got fussed at by his commanding officer, General Beauregard, and came back within a couple of days, that move out and then quick move back caused some confusion on the part of the Federals. General McCall, George McCall, whose Federal division was in Langley, was told by General McClellan to move about halfway from Langley to Leesburg, right about where Drainsville is, um, Drainsville, Virginia. And he did that, went to Drainsville, really, with, with his whole division, and then probed toward Leesburg on the 19th and on the 20th of October. The Battle of Balls Bluff, of course, was on the 21st. But that's all that was going on at that point. General McClellan, in a sort of um, afterthought, informed General Stone that McCall was in Drainsville and was probing toward Leesburg, and he had made this famous suggestion that's always quoted, that uh, perhaps a slight demonstration on your part would have the effect to move them, meaning... Uh, McCall's in Drainsville, he's making some noise, why don't you make some noise over on your side of the river and let's see what the Confederates do. That's basically all there was to that. Stone did that on the 20th of October by moving a lot of troops around, very visibly, so the Confederates would see them and think they were coming across. But the Confederates did not respond, and by the night of the 20th, Stone's slight demonstration was over. He pulled all of his troops back into their camps, and, and really that should have been the end of the story. But the key to this whole thing is at this point, wanting to find out if all this moving around had had any effect, Stone sent a reconnaissance patrol across the river at Ball's Bluff. These guys late at night on October 20th go out and do a little sneak and creep through the woods and out into where the current subdivision is, and they make a mistake that really gives Stone a reason to cross other troops. They think they see a Confederate camp that appears to be either unguarded or abandoned. In fact, it's just a row of trees. And in the moonlight, the branches hanging down and the spaces between the trees, it looks like tents. Stone gets a report that there's this camp there, sees it as a target of opportunity. So on the night of the 20th, then decides to send a raiding party across. And he orders Colonel Charles Devins of the 15th Massachusetts, whose regiment is close by there anyway, to cross over at night. And as soon as it's light the next morning, raid this camp and then come back. And that's all there was to it. That's all Stone intended. There was nothing there about an attack on Leesburg. He had no plan. In fact, there's really no hard evidence that there was a plan at that time. The only known plan that Stone wrote to take Leesburg, he wrote in January of 1862. There's actually no evidence at all that he had a formal plan before that. But in any case, on the 21st of October, night of the 20th, really, all he was doing was putting together a raiding party. So, And the raiding party consists of one regiment, the 15th? Uh, half a regiment, actually. It was about 300 men, uh, which at that time was about half of the 15th Massachusetts. Okay, so they're going to go across. Do they start out at night? Yeah. Uh -huh. This whole thing starts after Stone gets the report of the patrol about 10 o'clock on the night of October 20th. Sensing that there's a target of opportunity there, he then sends word to Colonel Charles Devins, uh, that's the Fort Devins, Massachusetts Devins, uh, to take his men across the river. It's night now. Uh, and then as soon as it becomes light, go out and, and raid the camp. And Devins has to cross his men from... Uh, an island in the middle of the Potomac called Harrison's Island, which is where his men were anyway, crosses them over to Virginia, shuttles them over in a couple of boats at night, so it's dark, 
Um, the other problem for them was that the river was up. It had been raining for the better part of about three weeks, so the, the Potomac was up at that point. So he's doing this in a river that's very high and very fast at night. And that's, um, that's, that's his mission, really. It's just a raiding party. So he gets his people across with, with some difficulty. They go up the bluff and head inland toward the, the phantom camp, which That's is right. really a row of trees. Uh, they, they discover there's no camp. That's right. And they start coming back. They do not. Uh, Stone, uh, rather, Devons' orders are to raid the camp and then come back, but he does have the discretionary authority in his orders that if he gets over there and sees that nothing is going on, that he may stay, he may elect to stay and send back uh, asking for further instructions. And once he gets over there and discovers there's no camp, he sees no Confederates, he looks off in the distance and sees what is apparently just a quiet town of Leesburg, he decides to stay. And you can understand why, too, because at this point the, con- the Federals don't know if the Confederates have left Leesburg or not, and with Devons getting over there and not seeing any Confederates, he could very reasonably have thought that, well, maybe all of this maneuvering the previous day has caused them to leave, and we have to find out. So he elects to stay, deploys his men quietly in the woods, having them wait, and sends a messenger back to General Stone with the news that the raiding party has nothing to raid, and what then, General, would you like us to do? And, of course, this takes a while for the messenger to get back across the river and all the way down to Edwards Ferry, where Stone is at the time, get the new information and bring it back. By the time the messenger gets back, the force under Devons has bumped into some Confederate pickets in the opening skirmishing takes place. So the battle begins accidentally. Uh, there is a time lag of information getting back across the river between Stone and his forces at Ball's Bluff, and that time lag lasts all day, of course. Um, and it gradually evolves from there. But it began accidentally because Colonel Devons decided not to come back after discovering that the raiding party didn't have uh, a target. So now we've got uh, Devons' companies. They've gone through uh, the patch of woods at the top of the bluff and come out where, as you say, today there's a modern subdivision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a clearing there at the time. Oh, it was open fields, all agricultural at the time. So it's uh, all open. What is now called the Potomac Crossing Subdivision was several hundred acres of agricultural land. I'm not sure what they were growing at that at that point, but it was all open fields. Okay, so they begin skirmishing now with with some some Confederates begin, beginning to show up. Uh, when when do more Union troops start to come across? Well, at this point, uh, about the time this initial skirmish is taking place, call it eight o'clock in the morning, between Devons's companies of the 15th Mass and 40 or 45 men from the 17th Mississippi, Company K of the 17th Mississippi, which had been picketing the area. Right? About the time that these guys are fighting, the messenger from Colonel Devons is telling General Stone that nothing's happening. So Stone doesn't know there's been fighting, but what he tells the messenger <clears throat> excuse me, is that he's going to have the rest of Colonel Devon's regiment cross over, and he would then have Colonel Devon's advance toward Leesburg more to see what's happening. So Stone is really thinking of sending reinforcements to reinforce what he now believes, again, is just a reconnaissance. And one of the mistakes in the interpretation of this is that people have written that General Stone is reinforcing his men who are fighting, which is true except that he doesn't know they're fighting. He's reinforcing a reconnaissance as far as he knows. 
So the next Union troops to come over are, in fact, the remainder of the 15th Mass who show up, oh, by 11 o'clock in the morning, um, not knowing at first that, that there's already been fighting going on. And the 20th Massachusetts also starts coming over at this point, is that right? A couple of companies of the 20th Mass had gone over after the raiding party, but they did not go out with the raiding party. Their job was simply to deploy along the bluff and cover what they expected would be the withdrawal of the raiding party after it had raided the camp. And then the 20th Massachusetts boys, those two companies, would then withdraw themselves. Uh, but as they were there, and when word filtered back that there was fighting going on, then the remainder of the 20th Mass began to come over, almost all of it. There were a couple of companies that never made it. So they're still in the woods at the top of the bluff. Their idea is to provide a base for the returning reconnaissance party. That's right. But that's don't... where they are. They are right at the top of the bluff, more or less in the area where the cemetery today is. The 15th Massachusetts is out several hundred yards ahead of that in the area where, the t where today's subdivision is. And the 20th Mass fellows there uh, do not go out. Uh, they do not march to the sound of the guns, as it were. They stay back there by the, uh, by near the bluff. Okay. So how long does the fight go on, then, with the 15th Massachusetts? Well, the initial skirmish is maybe 15 or 20 minutes. I don't think anybody really knows for sure, but that seems to be about right. And then there's a very long lull, <clears throat> because the Confederates are not sure what's happening either. One thing I didn't mention before is that in order to provide a little bit of a diversion for the raiding party, General Stone also ordered a very small cavalry force to cross the river at Edwards Ferry, which is about three miles downriver from Ball's Bluff. This cavalry force, about 30 or so troopers from the 3rd New York Cavalry, is assigned to simply ride out the Edwards Ferry Road toward Leesburg and make a little noise, attract some attention to themselves so that the Confederates will look at them. The raiding party will be able to do its thing safely and get back. And then the cavalry force will itself withdraw. So if you're Shanks Evans, you are now seeing Confederates, I'm sorry, Federals have crossed the river at Ball's Bluff, Federals have crossed the river at Edwards Ferry, and you're still looking at General George McCall's 12,000-man division just a few miles down the road in Drainsville. So from Evans's perspective, it looked very much like the envelopment that he had been fearing for several weeks anyway, which is really, I think, where the, where the traditional story gets its, gets its core. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, because it looked like an attack, like a deliberate attack. It looked like an envelopment, even though McCall's men had actually been ordered to withdraw to Langley, and they were about to do it. And the other two forces, Devons at Ball's Bluff, just a raiding party, and the small cavalry force at Edwards Ferry was just a diversion, and they weren't planning on staying originally. So there's nothing really going on aggressive in the minds of the federal commanders, but gradually around the 15th Massachusetts, we start to see some Confederate regiments uh, sort of coagulating there. Essentially, essentially, yes. Evans um, realizes at one point. Let me let me back up because there's another thing. This is this is extremely confusing. It, that uh, if, if you're not uh, sort of hearing it for the first time, as I'm sure a lot of folks are. Um, after General Stone had sent the messenger back to Colonel Devins with the new information that uh, okay, as long as you don't have anything to raid, I'm going to send you the rest of your regiment, and you can turn this back into a recon and, and move toward Leesburg. As the messenger is gone, who should show up at General Stone's camp but Colonel Baker? This is Colonel Edward Baker, Senator Baker, wanting to know basically what's all the activity about, because he hasn't had anything to do with any of this. Stone tells him what he knows, 
and again, almost as a sort of afterthought, says, listen, as long as you're here, why don't you go on upriver, take command of the forces up there, check out the situation, and decide what to do. You can send more troops over if you want, or you can withdraw the ones who were there. But uh, another key to understanding this is understanding that neither one of those men knew that there had been any fighting. They're both thinking reconnaissance. Stone gave Baker the command, but he gave him command of a reconnaissance. And it's not until Baker is on his way back up the river to do this that he finds out that there has been fighting, actual fighting on the other side. So he actually finds that out before Stone does. Baker immediately starts throwing troops across the river as fast as he can, which, of course, isn't very fast because they have to cross the river from Maryland to Harrison's Island and then from Harrison's Island to the Virginia side. And nobody had planned to cross a large number of troops, so there are not a lot of boats there. And hence we get our title a little short of boats. We're going that to come actually back comes from a, a from a situation report that General Stone wrote to General McClellan late in the day, telling him what's going on, and he finishes it up by saying we're a little short of boats. And 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 we're a little short of time at this moment, so we're going to take a short break. Okay. But we'll come back uh, with the conclusion of our story of the fight at Balls Bluff with Jim Morgan. We'll be back in just a minute on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> 